is my design. Killing must for good to God, too. He does it all the time. Then what kind of crazy is he? Welcome back to Second Course Podcast, the Hannibal Podcast with your host, Jamie Parrish and David Ward. We are doing our fourth hiatus episode. We're going to be talking about Hannibal. But before we get into talking about the movie Hannibal, not the TV show Hannibal, I want to let everyone know that we have some new social media that you can go out and find us on. If you go to the Second Course Podcast website, you'll notice that there's some new icons. We have a Google Plus page now. We have a YouTube page with lots of videos from all over YouTube. We also have a Pinterest page now where we're pinning a bunch of pictures. So please go out and find us out on those websites and follow us, join us, and start interacting with us. So, Hannibal, David, what'd you think? Well, first of all, I love that new intro. Thank you. That descending note on the, on the in the Hannibal TV show theme, I think needs to be my ringtone. <laughs> I really love it. I think it should be mine as well too. Yeah, let's do it. I'll, I'll wait till when when you call me, I'll have that set. So that's... and when you call me, I'll have that. So we know. <laughs> so we know who's calling. Um, we're recording really late at night, and it was a, it was it was my fault. I got lost in DC today, in in the same streets that Clarice is tooling around when she's being followed by the by the uh, Sardinians. So I feel I watched Hannibal tonight as a catch up, and it was a cruel reminder of my day. <laughs> is that how I feel about Hannibal at the moment? You know what's funny is when I was watching that that, that scene at the beginning with the the fish market. Oh yeah, it looked way too run down for DC for me. I was like, I can't suspend my disbelief about DC that much. And do you know where it was filmed? Where? I kid you not, Baltimore. And that's what it looked like yeah. to me, like an underpass under the JFK. It, 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 it is. It's an underpass under eighty three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's one scene where she's actually. It looks like she's driving on Interstate eighty three, and she gets off on Maryland Avenue, but she says, "Oh, it's Massachusetts Avenue" or something like that. Right. Right. Um, and it, you know, but that's that's a funny thing. This this movie looks it does look like home. I mean, I've you know I moved over to to Baltimore ten years ago, and it's it's funny when I watched Hannibal the first time round. We're skipping ahead, but you know, I watched it in London, and it's so funny to fast forward you know ten twelve years and see you know all the little he he does get the American details right, like because again Ridley Scott's an English director who directed this, but you know for the Verizon bill that he steals from Krenler's, yes. you know all all down to the light, you know at that kind of crepuscular light when he goes to his house at night. So it does he does get the East Coast of America, just down pat, I think, in this movie. Yeah, he did. And the Eastern Shore, he got down pretty pat, too. Oh, I thought he got he really nailed Maryland Eastern Shore really, really well. That's on my list of likes in yes. this film. Okay. So, I mean, I guess by way of an introduction, I'm curious actually how many people have watched this film. It, it was a popular film in, in I guess, a, it was 2001. Yes, 2001. It was a huge film in 2001. Much, much anticipated book. I remember because there was a long time between the, the, the movie Silence of the Lambs and the Hannibal novel. Uh, in London, there were midnight openings. There, I remember the big book, bookshop in London had uh, Hannibal Lecter lookalike. And, oh, really? Yeah, and they were serving Chianti and Father Beans and all of that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> and I remember being, I, at that point in my life, I was a student. I had, I had no money. I couldn't afford a hardcover book if it wasn't on my course list. So I would go into the bookshops and like read the novel Hannibal, like just a few pages here and there. But it was a big deal. And then the movie came out 2001, much anticipated. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, David. I heard a rumor, and I'm not, I didn't. Look it up. I, mm-hmm. I feel very unprepared for this podcast because I have to admit I didn't do very much research. Uh, but we'll get by. I heard that by the time the Hannibal book had come out, 
the De La Rentis company had owned the rights to the character. And they had already had a movie in the works. And Harris was like, no, 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 I'm not done with these characters. And, and I heard that his motivation for writing the Hannibal book was to keep the De La Rentis company from making a movie that didn't have a book first. I hadn't heard that. That might be true. I know that part of his motivation was them kind of calling him up every so often and saying, so how's that, how's that book going? You right, know, right. There was definitely a lot of that, I think. So basically you're saying is that possibly it was the De Laurentiis company poking and prodding Thomas Harris to write the book. I think so. I think that he had, you know, there was a lot of money at stake, and by this point a lot of people were interested in the, in the, the, the Hannibal Lecter brand. So the, the, the book was always going to become a movie. That kudos to, to Thomas Harris for not writing it like a movie. So many writers do that. Michael Crichton, for instance, writes his books like um, movie scripts. He actually includes movie directions. You know um, who else does that? Um, Dan Brown. Dan Brown. <laughs> Were you going to say Dan Brown? I, I was going to say Dan Brown. Oh, okay. I, don't, I don't know the author's name, but the, the woman who writes the uh, Hunger Games series. Oh, does she really? I've never read it. Yeah, I, I read the first book because my daughter was reading it, and it basically, re like, there's no real description of the characters so that anybody could kind of come in and play the characters. Like, you don't get a vision of what, what they're supposed to look like right. so that anybody could play them. The reverse <laughs> of that, I actually think probably one of the worst lines I've ever read in fiction, genuinely, was in The Da Vinci Code, where Dan Brown introduces this character and he just does a little aside to say he looks exactly like Harrison Ford. Like that's, 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 that's actually a line. <laughs> I thought that's... That was wishful thinking, Dan Brown. <laughs> <laughs> the production of Hannibal, as far as I know, I mean, they, they offered they offered the the direct uh, the directing gig to Jonathan Demme. Okay. Who, who said no, based on... His stated reason was that, how do you top Science of the Lambs? Right. Then they offered Clarice Starling to Jodie Foster. And she said no, because it was too violent, right? She felt that the character wasn't the character that she played in Silence of the Lambs. I felt that when I was watching this. Well, Julianne Moore does a very, very different job, doesn't she? It's, we can talk about that in a bit, but it's a, it's a different Clarice. It's very different. Does she crack a smile once in this film? Like, not, I mean, she's she entitled... She never smiles. She, I mean, she's entitled not to, but I, because for me, that was one of the, the great things about Clarice when Jodie Foster played her, is that she, she did have that sense of humor that I think is what Lecter saw in her. You know, if they think of the scene where she's kind of breaking into the um, storage space. Right. And, you know, she's she's kind of making light of, I'm going into a horror movie cliche here, you know. Right, so, exactly. And and in, in this movie, it's it's long faces all, <laughs> all the way through. You there's, know, she's... there's no joy in Clary Starling in this movie <laughs> at all. Absolutely no joy. And I, I just, her southern accent, my God, was just so unconvincing. Tell me, see, as a Brit, I find it harder to discern, but I, I, could, t I could tell it was different, certainly. It was very... Fat, you could, it sounded fabricated. It just did not. I was at Frazier's, a bar in the neighborhood in our, where we live, yesterday, watching the Ravens game. And there was obviously a woman who was bartending that had, was from the South who had moved up here to Baltimore. Right. And she had the sincerest sounding Southern twang in her voice, you know. And it's kind of like, they're like a, almost like a syrupy sound to yeah, her voice. Yeah, it's a great accent. And. Julianne Moore just you know, she had the twang but she didn't have the it didn't yeah. ring true yeah and I hate to say it because normally we 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 go for 
the you know the actors and actresses. We're just winging it tonight on this podcast. I guess I'm fine with that. <laughs> but I tell you, like it, she made it almost. God, now this is going to sound horrible. Like this is almost going to sound misogynistic, and I I don't mean it to, but it, it almost feels like a lifetime movie characterization. Yeah, there's just it. it yeah, it did. This is the biggest problem that I had with this film, and there are a lot of plus points to Hannibal the film. I really think there's a lot to this movie. and we will get to those we'll get to the good stuff but that the part of the problem is that for me there's no dramatic through line like there were so many scenes and and chunks of my time watching this film where i'm like what why am i interested in this what is what where how am i engaged now silence of the lambs red dragon manhunter da, da, da. It, you, you always know what's happening in terms of the clock is ticking something's something is going to there's there's a consequence if you know, X or Y happens. You don't get that in Hannibal, the film. Like, for instance, the fish market scene at the start. What's your investment in that? There's almost none. Like, you don't have any... It feels like a really... I kind of felt like that was a scene just for the audience to show that in the past ten years, Clarice had risen very high on the totem pole in the FBI that she'd be running this operation but i felt like the operation itself seemed very very fabricated like why was there hundreds of men looking so conspicuously like police officers yeah, yeah and, in and, this and, warehouse and it yeah right and of course and it, it is to show that she's she's perhaps changed and, and toughened up you know and because you really again you you sort of want to you hope that she would be in like running the 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 profiling unit of the FBI and she'd be working with serial killers and, and already it's a it's a move sideways that she's taking down some petty drug lord and then and she's taken her down a couple times already what's the drama in that she arrests her so she's going to get out and it's going to happen again but but it, but that scene is to show that she's toughened up but that is made quite confusing by the fact it's a different actress and and why is it a punishment to be put back on the Hannibal Lecter case because obviously there's that, that big shootout at the fish market. Right. And she gets blamed for it. And it's obviously, it was the local DC cop who was trigger happy and wanted to get accommodation for himself that caused the shootout. But she gets blamed for it because she was a ranking officer on the site. Why is it a punishment that we get put back on the Hannibal Lecter case? Right. I, that was <laughs> one of my questions. I, and I, do, I mean, I love the way that opens up where she's asleep and there's the dry ice. Right. Like it's like um, it reminds me of the Nirvana video for Heart Shaped Box where he's asleep in the in the poppy fields, like the um, the Wizard of Oz, but it's like an opium field with like an ambient mist. Right. And there's a lot of mist and fog in this film, which I love. But it does it just doesn't quite. And then, but but then it's like, how is she sleeping through this? And it's like, well, we've seen that line in Aliens in in the eighties. You know, that's that's not that's not a big a big thing. Um, but again, what's at stake? You know, you're. I don't know. There's there was no investment right at the beginning, and it kind of goes through. There's there's a a middle scene where I really I remember watching the film when it was first out and actually getting into it for a bit when the 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 Italian scenes and I watched it again tonight and found the same investment. It actually does go from not very engaging to really really interesting for about twenty minutes and then and then deflates it again. I think the thing that's most interesting about that is just the the sets and the landscape of Italy. You know, I, I really felt like this was a movie that was a de- devoid of much plot at all. Yeah, another example of that is when she's um, scrubbing out the cupboards. So she's been suspended. Mm-hmm. 
and she's scrubbing out the cupboards and because she supposedly she you know doesn't want to be she's still going to do something she's not you know she's a doer but you what's the what's the what's the drama there that of an extremely competent person has been unfairly and temporarily suspended from their position and the way <laughs> they like, build it not, up that's not the, jeopardy the way they build it up they build it up like it's this permanent thing like Hannibal comes to her as if it's like this permanent thing like he keeps talking to her as like they hate you as much as you hate them and I'm like, why are you being so heavy-handed, dude? I mean, right. it's it's she's suspended pending an investigation. <laughs> it's okay, it's you really know. Okay. And, she, and you just feel icky. You sort you're sort of thinking, should I? It's it's where you start second guessing yourself. You're thinking, should I feel something dramatic here? Am I missing, or should I, or should I pretend that there is a drama here so that when it, the movie picks up, I'll be on board? I don't right. know. I, I really felt like the movie never really picked up. I liked the scenes in. Italy, when, and I remember again, not vaguely liking it, but watching it, I was expecting to really dislike Anthony Hopkins's performance in this film, and I actually loved it pretty much his, all the way through. His performance was great in this movie, and the scenes where he knows he's been rumbled by uh, Patsy are great. Right, like he's really like that. The the two or three encounters they have, like where he comes around to his apartment and he's in his pajamas and he's mm-hmm. barefoot and he's just messing with him and right he, he won't pick up the he won't pick up the suitcases the yeah. suitcases and he won't give him the like the inventory because he knows he already knows he, he knows, knows he knows what's happening he yeah. wants a fingerprint but he plays it so well like he looked and, and Ridley Scott lights him beautifully and he just looks crackers he's nuts and I I got that all the way through this film watching it back is how now I have a theory about why he allowed the cop get him, to get him get get his fingerprint okay and my theory is is that he knew from the get go, this cop was after Mason Verger's money. You know, Hannibal Lecter knows Mason Verger's after him. Right. So he knows that. He, I think from the get go, he realizes this guy's after Mason Verger's money. He's trying to make me, so he can get Mason Verger's three million dollars that he's offered for me. And the only reason he lets the cop get his fingerprint from the pickpocket is because he wants to come back to the United States. And finish the job on Mason Verger. He wants to kill Mason Verger. So we ask questions of the audience sometimes, the folks that listen to the podcast. And, you know, sometimes that's fun for us and it's good to have that interaction. But genuinely, I'm asking Hannibal fans, there are two things about this that I've never figured out. First one is how is it that Mason Verger survived Hannibal Lecter? Right. And Lecter was never arrested. Like that should have been... Exactly. That that is an interesting question. That's never made any. That's never made any sense to me. It's never. No, it's it's left really vague. Because you would you would think you would think he would told have told someone that he got me high and suggested I rip off my face and. And there's another victim too that they talk about that survived. How did that person not finger? I I don't know. Hannibal. Interesting. If you can answer that, folks. Yeah. How how did. How did Hannibal do what he did to Mason Verger and not get arrested? The other question is, I just, I, I'm sure there's a good answer, but I can't figure it out. Is when they call up, he call, like when Patsy calls up the line, and they say, you know, there's a series of like, they call him back, he, they don't pick up the phone, and then they call him back, and then they have him call a lawyer who is basically the line that says you, you get a right. hundred thousand dollars for a fingerprint. Like, what's what is that? Like, why? I mean, I understand that there's, I'm sure it's some distancing from. 
legal responsibility, but it doesn't quite make sense. I'm not sure. I don't know what that was about. Like, is, is there a guy in a bank that's just like looking at a phone that, that well, almost never rings? And then the second it does, I, oh, I have to call it back. And the thing that, that, that gets me about the whole Patsy character is that here's this guy. He's obviously an older cop. He looks like he's probably in his like, late 40s, early 50s. You know, 50-ish, maybe. And, you know, obviously he has a new young wife that he wants to provide lots of nice things for. But they, they never build that character up enough ah, now, to make you think that he would do this slimy thing. Now, that's he, there is more in the books. Okay. Did you read the book? I'm not, this is I the, haven't gotten to the book yet. I'm sorry. Good God, I don't blame you. It's a doorstop of a book. And I don't think it's Thomas Harris's finest. Um, sorry, Mr. Harris. Sorry, Mr. Harris. Um, would you like an? In- if you'd like to defend the book, please come on to second course. But you know, he's never. I don't think he's given a single interview. Yeah, I mean, I think there's one I can think of, maybe in print, but nothing on air or nothing on TV. Maybe so we could be the first. Well, I'm hoping. <laughs> to be honest, why we're we doing this, isn't it? I guess so. But in the books, there is a. Well, actually, there's a whole trope that was also filmed that was cut out. I think probably twenty minutes were filmed, which is on the DVD. Now, they talk about the Il Mostro case, the monster, which was an Italian serial killer. And supposedly the cop, Patsy, had caught this guy. Okay. And he had figured out that he that the killer was, was posing his victims in, in positions in classical art. In fact, okay. you, you see on the wall of... I watched, I noticed this tonight. On the wall of the his office, there's the, the Venus you know, kind of sculpture where she's in the clamshell. So in the book, Patsy's a lot smarter than he is in the movie. Yeah, not only that, but he's really fallen from grace because he had this high position as a um, you know a, a famous catcher of of of, of this, this this internationally sort no of notorious killer, serial yeah. killer. Where does he go from there? And it's sort of inferred that that's probably how he got this young wife is because he's this celebrity. Where do you go from there? Right. So, you know, so that's part of it. Is he? He's oh, so that's his motivation for wanting to catch Hannibal and catch him without help from anybody else. Because exactly. that would raise him back up to that level. Exactly. See, now they should have never left that out of the movie. And Lecter refers to it at the start. You know, when he says, um, you know, uh, something about something about you were on a bigger yeah, case, and yeah, you've been yeah. reassigned, and and it must be a step down for you. Yeah. Ironically, that's Lecter's undoing because Patsy's walking away. And right. when Lecter's needling him, literally to his, his turn back, Patsy then turns around and comes up to him and says, okay, what was that? Right. And and that's when he realizes who Lecter could be. So in that sense, he's his own undoing. Right. Um, but yeah, that's... that. I'm also a, such a big Ridley Scott fan and a failed Ridley Scott impersonator. I've, we talked about this before. I tried to do a Ridley Scott impression. I can't do it. But he has an incredible speaking voice. You're going to kill me for this, David, but... I'm not a big Ridley Scott fan. Oh, yeah. I understand why some people aren't. Uh, uh, Prometheus. Oh. oh, I love Prometheus. I know you loved it, but I, love I Prometheus. left a bad taste in my mouth. My friend, let me counteract that with Blade Runner. Blade Runner's great. And Alien. And Alien's great. But uh, uh, for me, it was all downhill after that. Well, you know, one of the, the, the famous criticisms of Ridley Scott is that he is great except his casting. And I don't think you can say Hannibal is an exception to that. No, because I, I, I didn't really like Ray Liotta in no, this role I didn't. at all either. I did not. I did not like him in that role. He did, just did not work for me. He did a disservice to the role, I think. Yeah, I, I, he actually would be the standout for me. And I think Julianne Moore, as fantastic an actress as she is, I just she, to me did, was not Clarice. Well, this is why I feel like Ray Liotta did a disservice to his roles because if you're, if you're at the 
U.S. Justice Department. Like you, you're being sent over from the president to the FBI to oversee this investigation into an agent. You didn't get there because you're some douchebag frat boy numbskull. You're like supposed to be like a really intelligent, highly educated, competent individual, right. and he is not portrayed that way at all. You know, and as a background character, it might have sort of worked, played by somebody else. But as like the one of the main sort of nemesis in the film, you're like, I don't, I know all this. Why am I? I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And also, if we're being crazy, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the opening, is the title sequence, the surveillance footage. Yeah, that's which really nice. Actually, isn't Ridley Scott? Who was that? That was somebody else. His name, I, I, I had to write this down. And I can't, literally can't read my own handwriting. It's on the Wikipedia page. He was he was a, a, a I think a graduate student, and he sent that footage in. I think pretty much as is uh, over to Ridley Scott as a, as a showreel. This is what I can do, and he said, "This is great. Let's use said, it. Let's use yeah. it." Wow, that's awesome. And I love that surveillance aesthetic. That whole sort of you know CCTV footage angle to it and I think that, that this movie works best when it's utilizing that it sort of it does say something about globalization it does say something about you know I would like to have the movie to have gone more in that direction and you know this sense of lecture on the lamb you know it's that sense of really creepy um, you know public space footage of somebody that you can't pin down it's very shadowy and very shady but it almost has that like great banksy type sort of aesthetic the best sequence in the movie is um lecture attacking the nurse yeah which is that that, that, and that's that surveillance it's also surveillance footage yeah i have to say that i was I, i was teed up in this podcast before i watched the movie to say lecture doesn't work when he's out of prison right he needs to be detained or you go the way, the route of the TV show where you you go different. It's, it's before he was yeah yeah where it's a different thing. You can go for ten hours about showing him kill someone. Actually, watching this, I thought he did a really good job of of being you know. Well, and the thing is, is he is pretty tame for most of the movie. Like it's only until like the last forty five minutes of the movie before right. he actually kills somebody. I suppose the problem that I had with it was that uh, although I get the sense of the elegance to his killing people, you know, bows in or bows out. It sort of undermines the character because he should be crackers. He should be so nuts that he just attacks people. You know, like he does become a lion in in a senseless way when he and it was it was all a bit too neat for me. I think for the most part. But I could I could see Mads Mikkelsen doing that though. Yeah, you're probably right. I could see Mads Mikkelsen being that kind of refined and reserved in yes. his in his killing. I mean, <laughs> he could be that, refined yeah. and reserved in your murder. Coming back to what you said about the whole like globalization and the, and the um, surveillance video stuff, mm-hmm. what, what I found really interesting was um, looking back at this. This movie came out in two thousand one, right? Which yes. uh, it came out, you know, after nine eleven because Osama bin Laden was one of the top ten people on the FBI list. It was right? before nine eleven. Was that's it? That's the weird thing. Was yeah, it really? Yeah, yeah, wow. That was that was you know the bin Laden because you know in truth it's one of those things that, that, that you know four days after nine eleven everyone's an expert on Afghanistan. You right, know? right. You're not, you know. But it was weird that everyone had seen that. I remember specifically in the movie theater seeing Same, that image flash up in, in huge. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, but at the same time. 
that's when I was a, a young adult in the early 2000s. I was a, I was a very, you know, young adult. I was probably, you know, 20 some odd years old. And I thought, you know, I was living in a cutting edge time when it came to like technology and stuff. And you look at the screenshots of the internet back then <laughs> and and the, the phones they were using and you're yeah. like, oh my God, that was a really long time yeah. ago. It, and it doesn't seem to me like it was, it seems like it was just yesterday. It wasn't like a really long time I, ago. I know, I know. It, it, and I, but I, I suspect part of that might just be a director who's getting older and doesn't quite know how to do cutting edge. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, at that point, I find it hard to believe that they weren't sending stuff, you know, over the internet to one another or you know even if it was dial up like were they were they yeah. actually mailing VHS tapes I don't know I don't know but at the same time too like there was one point where Mason Verger is voice talking to his phone and I'm like wait a minute that's that just started happening like 6 months ago <laughs> where you're like voice talking to your phone and your phone's making phone calls for you well that's and right yeah yeah he yeah, did yeah. that at one point in the movie and I'm like wait a minute that's out of place. Maybe they had the technology back then, and maybe someone as rich as him might have had it, but I don't know. So it was it was kind of interesting to see how dated it felt, because I didn't think Silence of the Lambs, for being a 1991 film, felt as dated as this film felt. I, I didn't even think Manhunter did. Like, for instance, the scene when uh, they fax through the picture of uh, Dollarhide on the plane Right. Yeah, it's that amusing old like dot matrix paper, which yeah, yeah. everybody's dad panic brought in the eighties. My father probably <laughs> still has like seven or eight cases of dot matrix paper. <laughs> like I don't know why he just brought a box. You know, but um, but it's still the same principle. Someone's on a plane, and you can send them an image, mm -hmm. and that's completely missing in in Hannibal. Yeah, and it's that, not there at all. And there's also that weird. I mean, God, if if we get into the, the, the intricacies of how Hannibal keeps getting caught, we'd be here all night. But <laughs> that thing of um, the Patsy like logs on to the Vicap website, right? And Clarice says, "I saw that you did that." Well, it's not that clever because it comes up with a big warning. It says right. you will be tracked, and he's put his name in. Yeah, and, and you're like, "Well, what? Why? Why would you do that? I don't get that. <laughs> I don't get it either." And it's, it's also like Hannibal is constantly trying to get himself caught, and that to me was so out of character. Like there's, there's right, at least like that two very, occasions. Like, that, that the very last scene where he puts her hair in the refrigerator right. door, and he's like, he does that on purpose. He's waiting. It's like almost like he's waiting. He knows that she's she's got something up her sleeve to stop him from leaving, and he just allows it to happen. Well, if you watch it, he he cuts one of the phone lines, but not the other one. Right. So he notes so to let her call the police. Right. So he wants her to call the police. He knows it's going to take 10 minutes, which is why he checks his watch. Right. So he wants to put himself in a situation where he's 30 seconds away from getting caught. Right. For probably the third or fourth time in the movie that I could count. Right, because he, he almost got caught when he killed Patsy. Again, he does it on purpose. Now, why yeah. would you set yourself up for this beautiful life as the curator of that library and then be like, oh, no, it doesn't matter. I'll just get myself caught and run away to... To America. Yeah. yeah. Which, is a, which is a lovely place. I mean, I would... I don't know why he would do that. There's so, and then, and then when he's following Clarice through the um, the Union Station, which, by the way, doesn't look like that because it's not a fairground and a and a band. But I was thinking, as a little experiment, this might be a bit rubbish. But we should go to Union Station, and I'll call you, and I'll see how long I can walk around before you spot me. 
We should do that, and we should have it recorded. Have it recorded, because I think I think I could go about thirty seconds before you're like, "Oh, there you are!" Right? Because <laughs> yeah. it's a huge space. It's like a huge open space. Yeah. You could clearly, you you'd be like, "I just see you." You're right. And the whole thing with the whole like wisping his hand by her hair. It's like, come on, dude. Right. 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 Like. Why? Why are you doing this? Also, when when he because he does assume these supernatural powers in this film, for one that he's able to sort of um, calm down ferocious dogs. Yeah, that German Shepherd. What the heck? Yeah. Also, that like he's able to jog behind her and then disappear as a as, as a spirit into the forest. Right. It's like, well, you know, no, <laughs> she's a, she's FBI. She she would know where that you were there. Ten seconds before you were there, it's incredible. I don't. Well, it's funny because we were. I was watching it with my wife earlier tonight, and um, she was like, "Wait a minute! If a man can do that to a German Shepherd, you know that's a pretty evil man." And I'm like, "No man can do that to a German <laughs> Shepherd." Or it was just a really nice dog. <laughs> yeah, just does that to everybody. I know. <laughs> okay, so we we have torn this movie apart. <laughs> Is there anything we like about this movie, David? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's lots. I really... I mean, I think it looked beautiful. It was gorgeous. It was a gorgeous movie, especially the Italian parts. I, and I think... I, I, I suspect that Ridley Scott had a lot of respect for the production company, as did we both. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I do. Say. We both no, love Taylor Rendell's company. I think that Hannibal is the best thing on TV. Um, so, you know, not, not to knock it. But I think he, he just said, I'll do this but knew the limitations of the source material, which is this doorstop of a book that is so left field. Right. And I think he, I think he worked his best with it. It looks incredible. I think that there's, there's a lot of truth to the location work. DC looks like DC. Like we said, the Eastern Shore looks like the Eastern Shore. And, um, oh, you know what else I really liked, which in my mind I, I thought it wasn't the best scene, but watching it back, the, the dinner scene at the end, the dinner party where they take Kringles, yeah. I thought that was terrific. That, that that's really, really, really worked. And you know what's funny? Because I thought, what, 11, 12 years later, that the cutting the brain scene would look really, really fake and CGI and bad. And it didn't. It, didn't. it looked really real. It G looked really good. Have you seen, there's a great picture, and we could put this on our social media stuff, of Ray Liotta next to the animatronic Paul Krenler that they made. They and made an animatronic Paul Krenler? You cannot tell the difference. It's incredible. When you really, really know it's going to be there and you look for it, you can assume which one is which. But it's one of the best models of a person I've ever seen. So there are scenes where it's it's kind of talking to him and moving its eyes, and it's just a, it's a robot, basically. Oh, wow. Um, but that scene did not lose one little bit of its punch, did it? You watch no, it and, and you're like... And there was like there was like one second where like I was like, oh, that looks fake. But then like when he when he cuts open the sack for the brain... The meniscus... And then pulls it, it back yeah, yeah. and then cuts off part of his frontal lobe. I was like, that, sh that looks real. Yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this is amazing. I was like, this holds up after 12 <laughs> years. But it also, I felt, had a reality to it psychologically. Like the way that he's got her on morphine... And he is, Krenler is um, really devolving right. into the kid that he is. And Lecter's sort of this very, very warped puppet master. That was, I think, actually the only scene that had, to me, that had a real truth to it in terms of the character interaction. Like, that and, played out and you know great what? for me. It's one scene that I felt like, it felt like the TV show in a way. Yes, it did. You know what I'm saying? Probably for that reason, because it felt real. Because... 
you know, the Hannibal in that scene, like, you know, Clarice wakes up and she's hungry and she's thirsty and she wants some wine. And he's like, I don't think that's a good idea because you're on morphine. I can totally see Mass Mickelson saying that to, like, Hugh Dancy or, or Lawrence right. Fishburne or whoever on the show. I could see him being like, oh, no, no, no. I've drugged you, but it's not s smart for you yeah, to drug but, yourself yeah. somewhere. You know, yeah, I can yeah. see him being that polite in his menacing behavior. I, I thought that scene just, it had a dramatic reality to it that, yeah. that I think was lacking in, in the, rest of, of the, in movie. the rest of the movie. Yeah. And Ridley Scott, I think he can do character to some extent. I mean, Alien, again, is a really is an incredibly character-driven film in a very subtle way. Um, but for the most part, he's a sort of more of a Stanley Kubrick type director, where it's 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 visuals and ideas. Yeah, um, I would still I would still put Ridley Scott probably in my top three favorite directors. And I know one of them is Mike Lee, and I couldn't tell you who the third one was. I'll keep that one floating. But like, oh, I think I, he is I, an absolute genius. But I don't I, know who my top three would be. No, keep keep it. Keep I'll keep it, thinking keep about. Thinking I'll think about, about that. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll come back in the next podcast and tell with the listeners. And I and this film doesn't doesn't let me down in in in. In that regard, because I think he, I think because the book was so out there, right? I think he made a lot of good decisions with this. Um, and and I, the other thing I liked was Tony Hopkins' performance. The same as Silence. In my mind, it wasn't very good. And watching it back, I'm like, this. Is I liked his performance cool. in this movie better than in Silence. Did you really? Yeah, I did. I thought it was great. I think him unleashed at a jail was what much better than him in jail. Yeah, I, I would. I would not assume that I'd be saying this until I watched it back tonight, but I think you might be right. Like, I and I love Harry Schiss from being completely psychotic to the, um, you know, the okie-dokie stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. So, I mean, all in all, I enjoyed the movie. I mean, it had its flaws, and I know we talked a lot about its flaws, but I, I did enjoy this. I thought it, it was a gorgeous film to watch, and I kind of feel like Brian Fuller took a lot of the inspiration for the TV show from this film. Because that opening scene with Mason Verger and the orderly, what's uh, Barney? Yeah, Barney. That opening scene with the the the, the purples and the reds and the yeah. lushness that, of that, Mason Verger's house. I, that is so Brian Fuller and Hannibal right there. Well, that that you know what that is a little bit, which in, on another level, which I love, is that and I I, I completely caught. It looks like Lecter's study, basically. Yeah, it does. And it, that's the thing of. We always seem to have at least one James Bond reference from me in each podcast. But um, the, the best James Bond villains, of which Matt Mickelson was one, always want to be James Bond. That's the that's the secret to them. Right. And, and I felt that watching um, Mason in that first scene, he wants to be Hannibal. Yeah, he does. And he's like copied his Hannibal's like study. Mm. By the way, the other thing, the flashback scenes, all of them I think were great in in the, in the movie Hannibal, and the scene where he defaces <laughs> himself. Yeah, I mean that was and Lecter looks all like nineteen eighties. Right. Do you know and he's got like you know the hair slicked back and he's got that Panatella cigar. Like that was really good. Like, you know what I thought was interesting about those those flashback scenes is they were all kind of blurry and slow motion. If it were made nowadays, they would have full on showed that. Yeah, they probably would. They would have yeah. full on showed him cutting his face off and Hannibal feeding it to the dogs. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't have blurred it out. And it, there would have been no, like, oh, maybe we shouldn't show this on screen. Right. They would have just totally showed just that. Just it. Yeah. They probably would. I like this film a lot more than I thought I would, but I was... It's funny to say because, you know, everyone, I think, knows I'm a teacher. And about, I'd say, 
35 minutes before the end of the movie. I was like, you know what? I, I, I can get online and answer some parent emails while I'm watching the rest of this. <laughs> and I did, and I didn't miss a beat, and I didn't miss a moment, and I still, you know, got all the meaning and whatever out of it. And so, but I didn't, I didn't, feel, I didn't feel like I could do that with silence. I could have never done that with silence. We'll, we'll get up and check. No, you'll be absolutely riveted to your seat. Because, yeah. And again, that's not Ridley Scott's fault. It's because the, the material is there in silence. There's a great dramatic through line. And you know why you're watching it. And it felt with this that, that you know, well, you know who Clarice Starling is. You know who Hannibal Lecter is. It just if, felt like a, a bunch of random events thrown together. It didn't feel like a movie. But I still liked it. <laughs> I still liked it. You still liked it? You're okay with it? I liked it for the visual aspect. I liked it for Anthony Hopkins' performance. Oh, I mean, oh, you know what we haven't talked about is Hans Zimmer's music, which was also fantastic. Hans Zimmer's music was great in this movie. You could hear little bits of The Dark Knight in there, too. Uh -huh. The Joker thing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. He he really is a he is a genius. And there are so many... That opera music at the end and... Well, you know, now, you, you, that opera was actually specially staged for... The movie. The movie. So they, all of the people that you see there, they sat and they watched, we, I think in the film it was like three minutes. But they actually probably did it for like three hours. They staged the whole thing, yeah. And, and you can, you can get that music and you can. Wow. So and it really is an incredible piece. You know, and all of the Dante stuff, I like well enough. I wonder what Red Dragon's going to be like. Oh, you wonder what Red Dragon's going to be like? I have because this I is have, a lot better than Red Dragon. I, I have high hopes for Red Dragon. Do you? I do. I do have high hopes for Red Dragon. And David's giving me that face like, "Oh my god, you don't even know what you're in for." <laughs> no, I mean it might surprise me. It might <laughs> surprise me. I don't know. Uh, you know why I have high hopes? Because I love Ed Norton. He's in it. Well, Ray Fiennes is in it, but then and I like Ray Fiennes. But too. then Liam Neeson and um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson were in The Phantom Menace, so I don't know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But that's our next podcast. Yes. Our next podcast is Red Dragon. The the remake. The remake. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the the other part of the Red Dragon book. We got through we talking through about through. Hannibal yeah. without being too confused about ha whether it's Hannibal, the character, <laughs> in the movie or, <laughs> or, the, or the book show. or the TV show. So. Um, and we've been doing some drinking tonight, so. He has. I'm... <laughs> I'm just jet lagged from getting lost in Washington D.C. And if you would like to recreate that experience, watch the the two minute sequence where Clarice Starling is driving around D.C. on a loop for about forty minutes. That was, my, <laughs> that was my detail today. Let us know what you think. If you have answers about Mason Verger, especially, or yeah, and, and his weird yeah, phone system, and that's a question. You know, how did Hannibal get away with Mason Verger without being arrested? That's what we want to know. That's what we want to know. We're we'd, gonna, love, we'd love to hear from you all, especially from Thomas Harris. Explain yeah. yourself, sir. And, and as I said, as I always say at the end of every podcast, uh, there is a uh, like little talk back question uh, button on our webpage. It's uh, called Send a Voice Message. It's right there on the, the uh, right-hand side. You can click it, and it goes to a, a, a web, web app called SpeakerPipe, and you can answer that question about Mason Verger for us. And just to reiterate, we have all that new social media that you can access through the website, Google+, Pinterest, YouTube, and as always, we're on Facebook and Twitter. So, and I think a Tumblr page is going to come in the future. Love Tumblr. Tumblr is fantastic. And let's put a quick plug in for TV Talk. Yes, TV Talk. I, we're both on TV Talk. We're TV Talk hosts for different shows. I am a TV Talk host for the show Homeland, so I'll be podcasting about that every week. 
with a guy named Heath Santazo who lives out in Los Angeles, and David is going to be doing some... Some TV talking about uh, Doctor Who with my co-host Cheryl. Um, hi, Cheryl. And we will be uh, doing our catch-up episode soon. So that's 50 years of Doctor Who in 20 50 minutes. 50 years of Doctor Who in 20 minutes. Um, and should we play out on, um, on a, um, a voice message? Yeah, we got a voice message a while back. We never got a chance to play it. So we're going to play out on that voice message and just so you guys can hear what some people are saying to us when they hit that little button on the right-hand side. Very nice message from, from our friend Robert, who's over in Australia. So thank you guys for listening, and... Can't wait to talk to you again. Hi, David and Jamie. Robert here wanting to leave a quick message to congratulate you both on a fine, entertaining podcast. I've been listening to each episode of the podcast after I've watched the relevant episode of Hannibal, and your insights have helped deepen my appreciation and understanding of the show. I remember first reading Red Dragon in the late 80s and being struck by how terse yet gripping it was. Freddie Lowndes' death remains one of the high points of the book. I then moved on to Silence of the Lambs, and that left an even more powerful impression on me. A crime novel and a horror novel wrapped up in one gripping package. It remains a constant amazement to me that Hannibal appears on mainstream television in the United States, given the dross that fills the airways. To take one example, Under the Dome is the epitome of everything wrong with network, te- network television. Formulaic, predictable, filled with stock characters and situations, badly shot and badly adapted. Hannibal, on the other hand, is a beautiful viewing experience. As you've mentioned, the ambient music is deserving of an award, as is the cinematography, which is lush when it needs to be and muted when the pa- scene calls for it. But it is the powerful imagery that really sets it above the rest. The image of the stag, proud and arrogant, stalking Will in his dreams, that is my lasting memory of the show. There's very rarely a false night in the performances, and of course special mention must be made of Mads Mikkelsen's precise, underplayed, but menacing portrayal as Hannibal Lecter. So I look forward to what Brian Fuller and the rest of the production team in front of the camera and behind it bring to our screens for Season 2. Here's hoping for more memorable Hannibal and more of the Second Course podcast. Bye!